following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. The theme of our weekend was Jeremiah 33.3. When I was doing student ministry, I used to tell students so that they would remember that Jesus, that God's phone number was J-E-R-E-333. Um, I actually dialed that in St. Pete one time, in fact, recently, and it, it's, it's not a working number. We need to grab that number for a prayer line. But, but anyway, um, just so that they would recall and remember. And what Jeremiah 33.3 says, he says, it starts off with this, and this is the theme of our weekend, is, is call to me. Call to me. Cry out to me. Come to me. We hear these, these sentiments that God uh, beckons us to throughout the scriptures. And he says, call to me. And then I love this. This is one of my favorite parts. And I, what's the next word? Will answer you. Have you called out to God recently? Have you found him faithful to answer our prayers? Have you, have you cried out to him and, and counted on him to, to answer us? And, and in this particular text, it says, call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great. The ESV says hidden. The NIV says in unsearchable. Uh, there's, you know, things that you do not know. Like God wants to give us his heart, his mind. Who knows the mind of God, but the spirit of God. And we've been given the spirit of God and we're told that the spirit of God wants to impart the heart of God and the mind of God to us. In fact, the latter part of 1 Corinthians 2 tells us we have the mind of Christ because we have the spirit of God that dwells in us. These are just rich truths. But when we go to prayer, this passage helps us to know that are there things we don't know? Are his ways a little bit loftier than ours? His thoughts a little bit higher? And, and to know that God wants to, the things that we can't even search out. We, Google doesn't know, right? And, and God wants to give us these things that help us to walk in the light as he is in the light. It helps us to abide in him and it, it calls us to this rich and, and, and intimate relationship with him. So I love this verse. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and hidden or unsearchable things that you do not, you do not know. And there's a lot for us to know, right? Are there things right now that you would long to know and understand? Um, let's, let's cry out to him. So throughout our service today, there'll be folks that we've asked to pray. We're going to have some times uh, that I'm going to pause here towards the end of our text this morning. Um, I am going to preach through a passage on prayer and, uh, and then we're going to make it real practical, which is our hope, which is what we call our faith step, right? Each time we go into the scriptures, we should be postured to make a faith step, a, a, step, a, a step that, that we beg God for the wisdom to know how to make, but then we, we walk in it by trusting him and putting the, the scriptures into practice. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Matthew 6. Um, I will have it on the screen, but, but, but don't lean on that. You know, always, always be a student of the Word. Always have your Bible, your sword, the sword of the Spirit with you. Uh, because this, this Word has the ability to penetrate the thoughts and intentions of our hearts, to see into our, 
our, our lives and our hearts and, and to really speak to us. Um, and it's, it's not really something that we read as much as it has the potential to read us. Uh, James 1 says that, it, that, uh, that the word of God is like a, a mirror that, that shows us the Father, that shows us the perfect God that he is. And then in, as a byproduct reflects our deficiencies, um, but then gives us the power and, and the ability to see those deficiencies overcome by his grace, by his presence, by his power, by his goodness and his love. So we're picking up this text like in the middle of a Sermon of the Mount, right? And there's a, a lot that Jesus has taught on. He opens this sermon by asking, but he doesn't even ask his disciples to come and sit at his feet. He literally climbs the mountain in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. He climbs to the top leaves the crowd, climbs to the top, sits down. And it says his disciples came and sat at his feet because that's what disciples do, right? He said one thing is necessary and Mary's doing it. What was she doing? Sitting at his feet. And so disciples who are learners, right? That's what the word literally means, a follower who is a student or a learner. They came and sat and it says then he began to teach them. And he starts with the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. That understand without God we are, we're broke. <laughs> um, and he goes on to to share these wonderful, blessed attitudes with us. And then then he moves into this section where he talks about that we're the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Right, we're the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And in verse sixteen he says, he says like let your light so shine before men that they see your good deeds. Right, they see them, but but. God gets the glory. And then he opens up chapter six and, and says, don't do your deeds before men so that you might be seen by them. And it seems like a little bit of a conflict here of what he's saying, but it's super clear when we understand that Jesus is talking about our motive. Why do we do things? Do we do them for God's fame and glory, for the advancement of his kingdom or ours? Do we do it for his will to be done or for our will to be done? And so motive matters, right? And so Jesus addresses three things, fasting, giving, and then prayer. In the area of giving, he says that we should do it in secret. That we, and the reason we do it in secret, and to the point of not even our left hand knowing what our right hand is doing, right, is so that God gets the glory, that no one can really point to us for the wonderful things that God is doing through us and in us. And then we get to prayer, and the, 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 um, the motive piece doesn't change. Like, the, who gets the glory? Who gets the attention? Doesn't change. That when we pray, that it should be for God's glory and fame, when we pray, he should get our attention. He should get our focus. And we should do it with, with, a, with, with, with a passion to know him and to make him known. And that's really what this whole section is about. But then Jesus is teaching us what to do and not to do in the area of motives. And then he actually says, when you pray, pray this. So this is what we're going to look at this morning, starting in verse 5. And uh, I'll read the passage and then we'll, we'll, we'll break it down. 
And, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you that they have received their reward. But, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So if you look with me at verses Five, six, and seven. Do you see anything that's repetitious? Right. I mean, there's, there's two things, but right off the bat, he says, when you pray. When you pray. This isn't if you pray. There's, a, there's already a, a, you know, like, of course you pray. It's the necessity of prayer. When you pray, Jesus, when you fast, when you give, Right? All of these are, are spiritual disciplines, ways that we worship. Right? Is, is prayer worship? It is. It is. It's, it's essential. It's our lifeline. It's, it's, it's where we connect. It's where we, we grow. It's where God imparts his heart. It's where we, we come to know him. And isn't that the goal? And so the, the opening... First there in five, it says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. What's a hypocrite? In this context, in, in, in first century, like this is an actor or a performer. Someone that is not being real or authentic. And so he says here, when you pray, you must not be like these actors or hypocrites and then he describes them, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners. What do they love? They love the attention. They love the affection. They love the accolades. So what is their motive? Right? And who, who are they really praying to or for? And so... For they love to stand, stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners that they may be seen by others. Guys, do we need to check our motives when we're giving, why we're fasting, why we're praying, when we're praying, that, that we're making sure that it's an audience of one, no matter who's in the space, that, that, that this is who we're talking to and we remember who he is and what he's done and what he's able to do. That we acknowledge all of that. But here he's saying that what they love is they love the 
the accolades. They love the benefits. They love to be honored. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. Doesn't that make sense? They've already gotten what they're going to get for what they're doing here. And it, it really speaks to motive again. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, why do you pray and who are you praying to? Well, he goes on to give kind of a, the, the antonym here, right? The, the antidote, the, 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 the ideal. In verse six, he says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father, which is again, this is the other thing we see three times in these three short verses. He, before he even says our father in verse six, or excuse me, verse eight, I believe it is. Um, you know, he, he, he says three times already, your father, your father, your father. To, to early Jewish ears, this would have been, he was accused of being the blasphemer for calling God the father. And yet he's saying here, your, your papa, your Abba. He's reminding us of this and, and who it is we're talking to. And, and he says, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And, and you know, I often think of war room, right? Like having a, a space in your home, a, a place where you can, you know, it's interesting. It says your room and, 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 and shut the door that, that we would go into that quiet place. And you know what this does as a contrast, it eliminates that motive. It clarifies our motives because it's just us and him. And you know, when, when, we, have, when we have secret hurts or secret things that are just painful, hurtful, or, or discouraged, like, like where do we go to, to process those things and who do we talk to? You know, usually it's someone that, that we trust, that we, we're confident will we'll be will care and be confidential about those things. And God is the epitome of that. And, and one of the things we have to kind of acknowledge here, this is God telling us how to pray to him. He's, he's calling us into that secret place. It's so sweet. Like, seek a quiet place. We see an example of this with Jesus in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. It says, very early in the morning while it was still dark. Let's remember, Jesus lived in, in thick community, like constantly. Slept and ate and did life. And it says, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the place he was at, and went to a solitary place where he prayed. He went to a solitary place where he prayed, he, he sought that secret place. He sought that solitude with the Father. So the passage goes on to say, um, truly I say to you, uh, excuse me, um, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So a couple of things here is one, God sees us. We, we constantly see that through the scriptures. That you know, that God sees us and, and, uh, and, and Jesus is telling us to find these quiet places. You know, we, we also have to remember that it doesn't even have to be a physical place. In some cases, as mentioned this morning, that we're the temple, right? And, uh, and this, this, this might have some symbolism to just be, you know, 
coming apart with God in, in, in our hearts in a, in a secret and profound way. But, but it's really talking to the intimacy of our relationship with God in our prayer life. Our Heavenly Father rewards private, honest, transparent, raw, and real prayer. Guys, um, you know, one of the things that a, a, a quiet place does for us, it allows us to be raw, right? It allows us to be real, transparent about, you know, and, and ex- just to, to, to be fully honest with God in our hearts. And, and this is what he wants. He wants transparency. He knows it anyway. And he wants us to come to him in this way. Our private prayer should also dwarf our public prayer. If all we're ever doing is praying in public, there's a problem. It really speaks to, to motive. Like, like really our relationship with God should be so intimate, private. It should, I mean, in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, we're told to pray without ceasing. Um, there are some venues that I'm in, I'm like, should I pray here? I feel a little weird, you know. <laughs> um, but like, man, that's a constant conversation that never, that never ends. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty, that's the word that leaps off the page, right? Empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So does this mean that we should never pray in public and that we should not ever use a lot of words when we pray? I don't think that's the intention at all. Again, it's getting back to the motive and our heart and here talking about empty words i think it's it the challenge is is that we would we would pray prayers that are full of heartfelt sincere content that it's not repetitious it's not mantra that it's um, that it's 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 not that it that it's filled with with our heart and our intention and our emotion that it's not empty in its in its purpose um, I, I think that's that's huge. And do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So I believe this gives great clarity to what Jesus is trying to say, because if He's telling us not to use many words, um, let me put it this way: if the Father knows what you need before you ask Him, have, have I'm going to turn the, I'm going to turn this around a little bit. Has anybody ever underestimated you? Have you ever had someone come to you and you have competency in in this specific area and they come to you and they talk to you as if you know nothing about it and you you're completely unaware uh, uh, you know and it makes you feel like you don't know me Do you, are you with me and that's really what I think he's getting at here if 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 God knows everything like he knows, he knows he has a solution before we have a problem. He knows us intimately. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He, he, before we lived a day, he purposed all of them, right? So like if we think about that, and, and he's omniscient, right? Does our prayer life communicate to God who he is? Like when, when we're praying to him, does, does it communicate that we know him? 
And what I mean by that is, I'll give you an example. The disciples, uh, Jesus was about to do the, the, the feeding of the 5,000. And one of the disciples came to him and said, uh, Lord, this is a remote place. It's getting dark. These folks are hungry and they're, far, they're, they're a long way from home. He had to tell Jesus that. Right? Like, do you think Jesus might have known some of these things or been aware of those details? But, but here's the thing. Didn't that say something about that disciple's perception of Jesus? Do you see what I'm saying? Here's, let me get right to the point. Is that we don't need to tell God the details when we're, when we're asking him. He knows them better than we do. We don't need to fill him in on, the, you know, on what's going on and the circumstances, right? Because when we, when we pray and go, God, you know it all. You know my heart. You know the brokenness. You know the things I want that I shouldn't want. You know the things that I want that you want. Like, you know it all. And he, I mean, we, can, we can get right to it. Have you ever gone to somebody that's competent in something that you, you need? I mean, you don't, you don't have to get into all that. You just say, this is what I need. And, and it really speaks to the Lord, you know, that we believe that he's omniscient, that we believe he's almighty, that he's, he's powerful and able and capable and kind. Does that make sense? And then, so I think that when he says, don't, don't use many words, I don't think that's saying don't speak a lot to God. I think what it's saying is let's, let's acknowledge that he knows what we need before we even ask. And, uh, and that's huge. Can we ask knowing he knows? Do you pray knowing that he knows? And that doesn't mean that we don't ask because we have not because we ask not, James says. So then we get into this piece where then Jesus shifts and he looks at the the crowd and here and says, pray then like this. So God's telling us how to pray. and He says, our father. You know, I mean, we could do a whole sermon right here. Like, this is like, (laughs) Jesus is saying, and I think it's interesting that throughout the prayer that he gives us, this model prayer, um, that's filled with, with, I think, um, pattern for us, but also ideal, um, is that it's always our and us, 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 us. Like, it's kind of like we should be praying this for each other as we pray for ourselves. Like, we're praying it, you know, that the... That, that because we're one, because we're his bride, because we're his body. But he says, our father. How precious is that? That he, that the God we're asking, the creator of the universe, you know, Jesus tells us, like, he's my dad. I'm going to share this with you, this intimate relationship, and you can go to him as, as father. Ideally, what do we hope that a father will do? Protect, provide, guide all those things are found in our heavenly father in perfection do we go to him knowing believing trusting that he is not just able but willing you know that it's his idea to be father <laughs> did you know that i mean i know that's an obvious statement but but isn't that refreshing it's his idea to be your daddy that's his idea that that was jesus's painful pursuit of your heart He's the one that tore the veil from top to bottom in order to give us access to this throne room that we can come co- confidently and boldly to. 
so that we can enter into his presence. But, he, but, but does it matter the connotation to which we have conversation with individuals? Does, does, is it different when it's father versus when it's acquaintance? Is, does it have a different feel and approach? And yes. And it's God's idea that he's your dad, your heavenly perfect father. That's so beautiful. And he's our father in heaven. Hallowed. What does hallowed mean? We don't use that in our current vernacular, but like it means sacred. It means set apart. It means holy. It means honored. In your prayer life, if we use this as kind of a a pattern, does your prayers begin with, wow, awesome? Does it begin with wonder and worship in, in acknowledging who it is that we're getting to talk to? Does it begin with like, like, being overwhelmed by the the cost, the price that was paid for this to even happen, that I don't have to have an advocate. I don't have have a priest. I have a high priest who's a mediator on my behalf before the Father. I have help now that the Holy Spirit is here with me, that I can even groan and he makes it make sense to the Father. Like he knows my heart. Like do we do we enter into prayer with that mindset because I think, I think, you know, when we do anything in repetition, there's the, there's the danger of familiarity that leads to contempt, right? There's a, there's a danger that it, it becomes rote and it becomes ritualistic and, and, and then it becomes sometimes empty because we're just kind of, can we go through the motions and prayers? Is that, is that possible? And, and, but when we take in what, the price that was paid and the, and the connotation that is given and the relationship that's established and the adoption that's been made and, oh, and who he is, who he is, right? I mean, wow. Hallowed be your name, your, your identity, your, your character, your authority, your, ten, your intentions. And then it's your kingdom come and your will be done. I mean, what's the prayer? And, and who's this prayer for? Is it for him or us? Who, who's, who, who's, who, what are we asking for? Change in him or change in us? Because I think a lot of times our prayers are like, God, do, you know, we want you to do this, right? And, and really what he wants to do is maybe not change our circumstances as much as he wants to change us. And, and, uh, and here, this is, this is really a statement of surrender. That's what it is. It's saying, not my kingdom and not my will. It's your kingdom. Come. Right? And where is he, where is he wanting to put that kingdom? Right here. Right? That's what Jesus said. It's in our midst. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to plant his, the kingdom of God in us. And so like it's, it's asking God, the prayer is literally asking God to make heaven, your, make me heaven's abode. Like make, make, make your kingdom come. Like this is where we're asking it to come into me and may your will be done. And that's a, that's a statement of surrender and saying, I, I, I give up my will so that your will can come to full fruition in my life. 
And it's, so it's a statement of surrender and it's saying, God, change me. Make, make what happens in heaven happen right here. Why? So that I might be a reflection of heaven to the world, that I might be the light of the world, that I might be the kingdom on earth and a part of this glorious bride that, that takes your presence to everywhere that I go. And that's why it's so essential we're praying this perpetually and all the time. It's because, man, aren't we, aren't we quick to default to our kingdom and our will? Later in the service, we're going we're gonna to have two precious ones come and, and, and praise prayers of adoration and surrender as we worship together. But this is surrender. This is, God, would you bring your kingdom's culture and would it conquer mine? Conquer mine. It's a yielding. Heaven on earth or heaven on earth in and through our lives is what we're really asking for, that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. Like, how does that prayer get answered, guys? I mean, think practically. How does heaven come to earth right now? It's when the body of Christ lives out the will of the head of the body, which is Christ Jesus. It's when... It's when we, those that are inhabited with the kingdom, display and demonstrate and like allow our hands and feet and hearts and lives to be the, to be the, the, the kingdom coming, right? The reason that dark, like, like what is darkness? It's the absence of light. And if, if we just shine, guess what happens to the darkness? I like the word flee, Right? Like, it, it, it's not even a question. That's how it works. And, uh, and man, we, we just need to shine for his glory. And here's the thing. We can't do it without sitting in his presence. You remember Moses? Why did he shine? Why, why was he, I mean, his face glowed. Why? He was in the presence of God. Right? We don't shine. We're moons. We're not suns, we're moon. He's the sun, we're the moon. We simply reflect his glory as we give ourselves fully to his presence. And so that's what we're really asking for. And then it says, give us this day our daily bread. Man, how often can we just think of that being going, God, I, I need a few meals today. And isn't it so much more? Like we sang a song, the first song we sang, you know, give us today mercy's daily bread. That's what the song lyric says, right? Like, I mean, how much of, of what God intends to give us daily is so much more than just food? And maybe, you know, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And, you know, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Maybe what he wants to give us, the, Jesus, right? And, 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 and all the wonder that comes. Like, but what it means really is God give us today our daily essentials. Be our provider. Meet my, whether it's wisdom, mercy, grace. I mean, those are the greater things, right? But, but yes, because th- this passage, chapter 6 goes on in 25 to 34 to talk about, man, don't worry about food and clothing. Really? God takes care of all that. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Right? So, so this is kind of like he expands on this later. Like you don't have to worry about this. 
You have not because you ask not. Just ask me for it. Can you imagine a little boy across the world just wants a pair of shoes and God provides in a shoe box a pair of shoes that fit his feet. And, and what does that do? His dad comes to the Lord. I mean, daily needs according to his will, right? Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Guys, this is the one that always just wrecks me. Like it's, it's I mean, you know, in, later on in chapter seven, Jesus says these words, judge not lest you be judged by the measure you judge, you will be judged. So basically we set the measurement of our own judgment by the way that we judge other people. So, you know what? <laughs> I mean, it makes perfect sense because like it, it tells us how much we really know Jesus if we're people of condemnation and judgment rather than people of grace and forgiveness, right? I mean, it's, it's an indicator. Uh, you will know them by their fruit, right? Are we people that reflect the love that we've been given, the grace that we've been shown, the forgiveness that has liberated us? And this is what it's saying here. It says, This is what we're praying. Like, this is what we're praying when we ask the Lord's Prayer. And can I just pause here for a moment? Like, are there times where, is it possible to say, have you said the Lord's Prayer in your life? More than a hundred times, maybe? And has there been times where, someone mentioned this weekend, where you're just listening to the person that's leading it, so you make sure you say the right, whether it's, you know, debt or, or trespasses or sin, you know, or... Or are we really kind of taking in slowly what it is that we're asking and who it is that we're asking? Right? Like this is, this is, this is the prayer. This is God saying, this is how you talk. This is what you ask for. Right? And, and but listen to what he says is, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven, past tense, our debtors. Do you know that your, your debts are forgiven to the, like we, we get to determine a portion of that by the way that we reciprocate that. What, that that we, we, we state that we understand and appreciate what we've been given by, by the way that we, we, we share that and return that to others. I mean, 12 chapters from now in Matthew there's a parable of the unmerciful servant. And basically what it's talking about is, is God forgives a debt that you could never, 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 you know, pay back. And then this guy goes out and chokes a fellow servant that owes him nothing, zero in comparison. And God says, you obviously don't get what I've done for you. Your debt is restored to your account and you are going to go to prison until you can. And who's the prison guard? Right, the enemy, like you're going to be torched. That's what the word that's used there. And Jesus says it very clearly. He says, this is how my heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brother from the, right? So, so to really nail this down, you know, the Lord's prayer ends in verse 13, but then in 14 and 15, Jesus goes on in this sermon and says this. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Can we just pause 
This is where our service becomes prayerful or continues to be prayerful. Is when's the last time you just said, God, would you grant me today my daily sufficiency based on your will and what you believe is is provision? Right? And when's the last time that you've you've because I don't know about you, but when I pr- when I pray this through this part of forgiveness, it it gets me in a posture of forgiving others before I even get to forgive. As you have forgiven, let's bow our hearts. Let's bow our heads. Let's go to the Lord together. Let's go to the Lord in this moment. And would you ask Him to be your provider? Would you ask Him to meet? whatever needs are specific in your life right now that are essential according to his will and, and the sufficient things that are, that are profound that only he can provide in the grace and mercy of God. Jesus name. Amen. And would you now consider that there might be some that you need to forgive from the heart, that you need to forgive the way that you have appreciated God's grace at the cross, that the, the unconditional, the far as the East is from the West is white as snow. Like all these things that have have really kind of given you freedom, that have given you such comfort and peace, would, would you extend that type of forgiveness, that type of grace and mercy to others? Are there, are there some that come to mind that the Spirit is faithful to bring to our mind that we need to forgive so that we might come to the Father and say with sincerity, Father, forgive my debts as I have forgiven those who have trespassed against me. Let's let's go to the Lord in prayer.
Father, help us to acknowledge that the battle belongs to you. That as Exodus 14, 14 says, that be still and I will fight for you. Lord, help us to um, entrust ourselves to a faithful creator who judges justly. Help us to turn the other cheek and to love our enemies and to, and to give when, when things have been taken from us. To, uh, to pray for those that abuse us. To do for others what's been done for us. Help us to be a reflection of your ministry, your, your mission, your miracles on earth. And truly, forgiveness is a miracle. So we also want to acknowledge that we can't, but you can. That there are things that, that are so hurtful, that are so painful, that it's, it's hard to let go. But when mindful of what you've done for us and under the power and the conviction and strength of the Holy Spirit, we know we can do whatever your word calls us to do. And you've said to forgive as you have forgiven us. Oh, Lord, that nothing would hinder us from experiencing your grace and forgiveness. So help us, strengthen us to forgive from the heart. In Jesus' name, amen. And finally, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We know Jesus was led into temptation. It says immediately after his baptism, the spirit led him into the desert where he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights as an example to us to fulfill all prophecy and, uh, and to teach us that, you know, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God and that, and that we fight with his word, the sword of the spirit. You know, it is written, depart from me. But we also know that we, we fight an enemy that is a roaring lion that he seeks to devour, to still kill and destroy, that he's relentless in his pursuit. Uh, he, he wants to tear down relationships because at the core of everything, it's about loving God and loving people. And so that's where he, that's where he, he seeks to, to damage and to harm. And so what do we do? We trust in God. We rest in his word. We declare his word as truth and powerful. And, uh, and then we pray this, Lord, lead us not into temptation. We have a default. We, we, we kind of we move in that direction. And, and we're asking God to lead us on a different path and in, and in doing so, deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. He can and he will that we would ask. I, I love this in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen as the worship team comes. It says this, please, please hear these precious words. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also, also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are, you're a God of deliverance, that you're a God that, uh, that, sh- that shows us a way. Lord Jesus, thank you for your example on how to, to fight temptation. 
and that temptation is in sin. It's dark for sure. But help us to, to, to look for your promised way out because you're faithful and that we're never trapped and that you always provide this path of deliverance. Oh, that we would, rather than give in, oh, that we would get on our knees in those moments of temptation. Oh, that we would declare your word with power and intention, knowing that your promises are faithful and bold and powerful. Oh, Lord, please deliver us from the evil one. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.